only four Saturdays. Only four Saturdays until the Pac-12 is back. And other conferences are helping the Pac-12 potentially make the college football playoff. These conference-only schedules are absolutely amazing. For the Pac-12, is 9 a.m. better than 8 p.m.? Mike Leach is gone in the SEC, but he's not off of our minds because he still says he needs better players. Utah loses Jalen Dixon. And of course, our reviews and a quote that no media company wanted to partner with the Pac-12. Rich Rodriguez talks about the difference between the Pac-12 and the SEC. The Pac-12 network appeared to be done, but people are coming back. The NCAA grants immediate eligibility for transfers. There are not more opt-outs for the Pac-12, but there are actual opt-ins. Stanford football is a mess. And the Pac-12 has informed their employees that they will be returning to work in waves. And of course, recruiting. We got Flips. We got Corey Foreman. We got JTT. And a piece of news about the Final Four. He's Ralph Amston. I'm George Reister, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. So what we're going to do is, as you can see from that long lead-in and all those topics, we're going to break this into two episodes for you guys and release them a couple days apart. Hopefully you guys enjoy. It's been about three weeks since our last episode, and you guys publicly shamed us, and we deserved it. And I just want to let everybody know that it's Ralph's fault. It is Ralph's fault, and we'll talk about that as to why. Um, You guys, make sure that you guys leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts because this is the Pac-12 Apostles, the podcast by Pac-12 fans, for Pac-12 fans who are going to give you the real, give you the honest, and tell you what's up. We're not going to sugarcoat anything like they do on other places. And make sure that you share with a friend. Tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles. Or you can get a hold of us. I'm Matt. I-M-M-A-D at unafraidshow.com. You can contact him on Twitter at Ralph Amson, me at George Reister, or hit us up at Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate you guys. The podcast is continuing to grow. And thank you guys so much. We will start, though, Ralph, with the fact that we got publicly shamed about not having an episode for almost three weeks. And I want to tell everybody that it's your fault. Yeah, that's fine. I wouldn't get off your back about Josh Allen being a legit NFL quarterback. And now you got to hurt back. Yeah, so we we actually it's funny because just to pull the curtain back a little bit, we both transferred back injuries. So Ralph had a debilitating back spasms and a back injury, and me, Mister Two Back Surgery Having Man, had back uh, back spasms, and right now currently still laying down recording an episode. So just want to let you guys know I am powering through it because this is for us. 
not not in terms of just me and Ralph. This is for us, all of us, everybody listening. Yeah, I think you you probably have a lot more reason for for your suffering than I did. I broke a toe, like violently broke a toe running into uh, the corner of um, my couch in my living room. And so that violently, that's a that's a hell of an adjective to describe a broken toe, because it was more than just like stubbing. It was it was uh, I realized that uh, I don't know if something was cooking or something like that, but I took a step to run and it was just the first step. Um, Or maybe it's because we were watching uh, I was watching 42 with my kids. And uh, and just felt like being fast because we were watching uh, Chadwick Boseman's take on Jackie Robinson. But I uh, I broke my toe. It's still like the whole thing is still black. It's been a month. And uh, and so that night I didn't want um, to bump it against anything. I wanted to get a decent night's sleep. So I slept on my back. I'm not I'm not a back sleeper. So I slept on my back um, so my toe wouldn't be touching anything. And when I woke up in the morning, my back was. Like, no, (laughs) that was a terrible idea. And so um, I had back spasms for about a week and a half. And when they finally cleared up, (laughs) we had to delay our podcast a couple of weeks because you were having them. So, um, you know, mine is definitely not as interesting as I had an NFL career and therefore, you know, am paying the price for it. That's definitely not my story. (laughs) Well, that's that's okay because there there are probably two things that I learned more than anything when I first got in the NFL, which was in terms of injuries, right? I remember when I was in college, Deion Sanders, uh, they were like, he can't play. He's got turf toe. And I was like, Deion Sanders is a tough guy, right? Like, why is he acting so weak? Oh, it's a toe. Oh, he sprained his toe. And that and... Uh, back spasms when basketball players would sit out with back spasms I would say all right oh oh he doesn't really feel like playing today and then having both of those injuries I was like oh now I see why you can't play because you can't play that's why <laughs> like, right. they don't sound- oh man um so I guess we'll 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 start with okay four Saturdays till the Pac-12 is back and maybe till and, University of Florida's back, because they just had to suspend all team activities uh, due to an outbreak of COVID on their team. What breaking Dude. news? <laughs> oh, see, right in the middle of the podcast. I love it. It, it is absolute. So they were supposed to play. Well, the Oklahoma State Baylor game was already postponed today. Florida was supposed to play LSU today, which I am on Saturday. And I was really looking forward to both of those games, particularly the Florida one. And that led me to wonder, I know we just went out in the woods off topic here, but I I, I was wondering, I was like, okay, some of these SEC teams, and this is going to lead into a topic that we're going to talk about. Actually, we'll just talk about this topic next. And after we finish the, uh, the uh, four four weeks until Pac-12 football is something that Rich Rod had to say about Pac-12 versus the SEC. So I, I was looking, and we know the SEC will do whatever they need to do to protect, especially their biggest brands, to try to make sure they get in the college football playoff and to look as strong as possible. But with this conference-only schedules, they're having to actually play each other. There's 14 teams that usually only play eight, but now they got to play 10. Things are getting dicey around there. So 
uh, but but I was wondering, I was like, okay, if you are the SEC, I bet toward the end of the season or the middle of the season, once some of these losses start piling up, because remember, they don't have the same protocols that the Big Ten or the Pac-12 has for shutting down. So that if you if you're them and you know you're getting in a dicey situation, you got a big game. Like, do you think that it's possible that they would have a po- one positive test or two and be like, "Oh well, we got to shut everything down"? I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I mean, are are they above that? Probably not. I just it's interesting to me that Dan Mullen wanted to put ninety thousand people in the swamp, and now they can't even put their people on the field because everybody's worried about him being careless, and it you know and. You know, you, you never know how somebody contracts this, but like now they got an outbreak on their team. And, you know, that carelessness of mindset from Dan Mullen is something that critics will probably link to the carelessness of his program in general and the fact that they now just cost themselves games. So it was pretty obvious Dan Mullen wasn't taking this seriously, and this is the result. Yep. That's the that's the bizarre part about it, is that if you're a coach. I would think that you would want to be extremely vigilant about this because you're like, I don't want to shut anything down, regardless of what you believe, regardless of what, you know, like, uh, like whether you think it's actually deadly or not, wouldn't you want to ensure that your program does not get shut down and miss any games? You would think, you would think, but it's just this, every, it feels like every eight days, we run into a situation of people like, I never thought it would happen to me. <laughs> yep. How and do we keep, probably good. do you remember that old tweet? It's like, I never thought the lip- the leopards would rip off my face says the person who voted for the leopards ripping off people's faces party. Like, yep. You, what do you mean? This is, this is a non-discriminatory germ that is highly contagious. It might not necessarily be, um, super deadly to the demographic of players on the team, but certainly other people would, would be at risk. And the way that Florida has operated care, like Florida has been the bane of your existence, George, from the very beginning and university of Florida fans, even longer than COVID have been the bane of your existence. And so, you know, this is a situation where now, you know, they, they're, they're all going to have to, to suffer for being fools. Yep. So, and that leads me to back to the four Saturdays till college football starts for the Pac-12. And the the Big Ten starts up in two weekends. And and I was just thinking, I was like, wow, with all the, with Florida losing to Texas A&M, we know Texas A&M is going to drop a few more games probably. You're going to have Georgia and Alabama actually play in the regular season. Good, good Lord. That's a miracle. Um, and w- with what the Big 12 is doing, I was like, as long as the Pac-12 gets, and then now that you're actually having Vanderbilt cancel a game, uh, an SEC game, albeit just against Missouri, neither one of them is a contender. But now you have Florida canceling. That just knocks down the amount of games that some of these other people are going to have. So this opens the door for, you know, Oregon, USC to potentially get in the college football playoff. It's certainly possible. I mean, Oklahoma has done the Pac-12 quite a few favors. Um, 
and uh, with, you know, having two losses and, you know, Florida being a top 10 team and taking an L and Alabama looking, um, they, they look vulnerable. I'm not sure that that's ever going to happen again. What happened to them, you know, with, uh, with, with Lane Kiffin knowing that program so well, but the, the, it definitely looks like there could be an opening. Yeah. Yeah, dude, <laughs> that was absolutely incredible. So the Pac-12 teams are going to have a serious opening. I think as long as they can get all of the games in, but with the way things are working, I mean, okay, granted, the Pac-12 footprint is probably being, I mean, it's probably going to be as vigilant as anybody else. Would you? Would you probably agree with that? In, in in terms of the cities that they live in and the things that are going to be going on on the campuses and how the the coaches are probably going to treat uh like protocols i i would hope so i would hope so you know some of this stuff is is avoidable and some of it's not um there's no room for the Pac-12, there's absolutely no room for the type of issue that Florida's going through right now. None. So yes, because they have no margin for error. No, no, not at all. And and especially because they waited a little bit. Like the fact that the Mountain West is kicking off two weeks before Pac-12 is kicking off should tell you everything. You know, like there there is absolutely no wiggle room whatsoever. And so everybody is at an elevated risk. You have to keep your program locked down. You have to keep everybody focused and you have to do it through the holiday season. Yep. And I'm not sending anybody to school. I mean, like as much as, you know, like the majority of the Pac-12 schools are going to be online. If I'm the teams, I'm like, I'm not sending anybody. I'm like, if I'm the conference, nobody's going to class. Period. I don't care if it's a lab. I don't care if it's it's not happening because like that leads to here is what. Well, OK, so Ralph heard what Rich Rodriguez, who used to coach in the Pac-12 at Arizona, had to say about the difference between the SEC and the Pac-12. Here's what he had to say. And I think it goes back to everything else that's happened in 2020. It's the COVID. You watch teams on, on in the SEC and everywhere else, they can't stop anybody because they're out of shape. I think the single most overlooked factor in sports and in football is conditioning. These kids did not are not able to condition in the summer like normal. They didn't have a regular August camp to practice themselves into shape. And all of a sudden you watch these games and what is so strikingly obviously that no the fundamentals are horrible. People can't get off blocks, they can't tackle, they're not out of position. And that's due to both mental and physical lack of conditioning. So, Ralph, Rich Rod clearly made the case that everybody says it just matters more. And for some reason, it's like it offends Larry Scott's sensibilities to do what everybody else knows needs to be done. Prioritize football, like no matter what. But we get so caught up in this idea of fairness when the reality is in life, special people get treated special. And he who has the gold makes the rules. And if you are the person who is a revenue generator, then yes, you are going to get more accoutrements than the other people get. 
So you can't be worried about what water polo, if they're going to get upset, if baseball is going to get upset at a new facility for football. It's not fair. Who cares? We pay the bills. We get the big piece of chicken. We get the we get the recliner. We get to kick people out of recliner if we want it. I think that that's fair and and right. It's a it, it ultimately speaks to a meritocracy where the attention is is where you put your emphasis. You know, it would be very weird if you were running a restaurant and you had one dish that consistently sold better than all of the other dishes, but you refused to put the resources into making sure that you had enough to not sell out of that dish by 7 p.m. Um, during every dinner rush, right? Because you wanted to treat all of the dishes equally. That wouldn't make sense in that scenario. And it doesn't really make sense as far as what the Pac-12 prioritizes. Because yeah, yeah, you you built your own network so that you could televise a bunch of sports that don't get televised in other conferences. And then from there, you throw your anchor down and say that any changes would mean that these other sports that are getting more than anybody else's sport is getting um, across the country are going to suffer. Well, that's not the standard. You elevated the standard for them and they're not losing anything. We went years and years and years and years without me ever being able to see volleyball on television. I like to watch volleyball on television every once in a while, but I don't think those student athletes suffer just because uh, there's a market correction in the way that they are treated. And ultimately you end up hiring a bunch of people uh, to the PAC 12 network to do a job that you then um, ensure doesn't exist for them in the future because people didn't respond in the way that you hoped they would. Not everything is field of dreams. Not everything is if you build it, he will come. Businesses all over America shut down every single day because they're not being patronized. If football is the thing that drives the success of your ability to have a network as a conference and your ability to draw a salary as a commissioner, then you need to treat it as such. And I I think the point that Rich Rod is making here feels like a direct shot at Stanford to me because of the way that they you've, you've shared with me the way they treat their student athletes um, is, is sort of a microcosm of the way that uh, PAC 12 treats football in that they believe that everybody should be equal to send a message that no one's really going to be able to fully receive because on Saturday, 50,000 people show up to see those average students that should be just like everybody else. (laughs) Right. And they bring in a hundred plus million dollars everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Dude, I I could not, I, it just makes no sense to me. And Larry Scott is the one that, that trumpets this the most where he's like, Oh, our, our Olympic sports, we have to make sure to highlight them where you hire somebody from the LA times to cover them. No, I, mean, I love Olympic sports. I am a sports junkie. But to be real, like people, most people aren't like me. They don't want. And and truthfully, I want to watch football 50, uh, probably 150,000 times more than I want to watch gymnastics. 
Like unless Simone Biles is out there performing or it's the Olympics or the Olympic trials, the the PG&E championships once a year, I'm not really watching. Like I'm I mean or uh unless Kate Caitlin Ohashi from UCLA is performing doing a floor routine. Like I don't want to watch her on a bar, I want to watch her on the floor. And my favorite thing about I, the whole Caitlin Ohashi thing is the Pac-12 can try to give her credit as far as her popularity, but it was really social media, not the Pac-12 network. It was really social media that helped drive her popularity. And then once they gave her that platform, what's the first thing she did? She shit all over the system. Like they, they were yep. like, Oh, we, you know, we, we in the Pac-12 have this network where you can put your talents on display and nobody else has that for you. You know, aren't you so grateful? And she's like, this is bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, like that like, was my I favorite thing money. about all like, of I'm, yeah. I'm famous, I'm famous, but can't make any money off of it. Um, soon though, the in the name, image, and likeness legislation is coming to head because uh, the Florida one goes into effect in July, but it officially goes July January first. It goes into effect in July, so that's a big deal. So they have to get that worked out. They sent a halfway ass per proposal, but that's where we are at. Um, you brought up Stanford and I've been talking to current and former Stanford players. I have talked to people in the media and people who've worked at Stanford currently work at Stanford, formerly worked and coached at Stanford like they they have some just weird things going on. So the first thing is like b- before we even get into all the bad stuff, here is the weirdest thing that Stanford has going on. The weirdest thing. I sent it to you Ralph in a text and you didn't acknowledge it, so I don't know if you got what I was saying. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it. I I I felt like it was something we had talked about before, but uh I know we haven't talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, so uh, when you go to Stanford's website and you look up their coaching staff, everybody knows who's going to be the head coach. It's going to be David Shaw. But here's what it says on the website. The Bradford Bradford M. Freeman, director of football, David Shaw. The Willie Shaw, director of defense, Lance Anderson. The Andrew Luck, director of offense, and the Kevin M. Hogan quarterbacks coach to Vita Pritchard. I'm like, oh, and then also the couch family defensive backs coach. Excuse me. Excuse me. Who, who the hell names? Like it's not an award. It's a title. Is is that not bizarre? Yeah. It feels so it, what it feels like parody because so, you know, at, at ASU, which I've, you know, covered for a few years. Um, you have Frank Cushfield at Sun Devil Stadium, right? And they retain the ability to give away the naming rights of, of the stadium. But, you know, somebody who is cynical could look at that and say, like, why don't we take it further and have, like, the Mike Haynes goal line at Frank Cushfield in Sun Devil Stadium? And why don't we have the Jake Plummer 50-yard line or the Danny White sideline, or, you know, uh, my guy, Joe Healy, his dad, Tim doesn't play, but have the, have the Tim Healy play-by-play box 
at Frank Cush Field at Sun Devil Stadium. Like, why not take it all the way? And it feels like that's what Stanford did here. It feels just like parody. Yeah, well, so 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 the question is, did they donate money to get this done? Well, I'm sure Kevin Hogan didn't have the means to do that right away, did he? Uh, I don't I don't know. But but I mean, what was he a good enough quarterback to name a job after him? I don't know. I it, I mean, I, I would I would think the quarterback's coach job would be like the the uh, John Elway quarterback's coach job or something, right? Oh, it's not like they didn't have Andrew Luck. It, no, Andrew Andrew Luck is the office of coordinator position. That's so weird. Like, I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. Is it? Are you are you banking on them in their future earnings and trying to get get them to stay connected to the program? I would love to know the logic that David Shaw has behind doing something like that. I, you know, I saw it last year. I thought it was kind of, I just thought it was corny and I thought it, it, it almost felt like making fun of how far we take sponsorships because, you know, it, it'd be like every bite that you take of your cheeseburger is brought to you by someone different. Yep. Dude. And so, so Stanford, I have been for the last, what? two seasons i've been saying that stanford is cooked they are done they are that that stanford football that intellectual brutality is not coming back it's broken they're done it is it is over for david shaw there it's over for the stanford faithful the the glory days are not coming back under david shaw i'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news so stanford is already down to Mind you, they've given a lot of scholarships to walk on guys, right? But they're down to close to a, they're 72, around 72 freaking um, scholars, recruited scholarship players. They're at about 80 scholarships, but they're at about 72 recruited players on scholarship right now out of 85 possibilities. Because we we don't know the exact number, but it's very it's somewhere around in between seventy and seventy four or so. That is unbelievable because they've had so many players transfer out. Like you can't run a program like this. So I got to asking around. I thought, why would you like Stanford's a great place? Like I took grad school classes. That like why? Who wouldn't want to be at Stanford? Like it's a it's a good place. Like I know it's not a football factory, all of that, but they put out a lot of guys. I can't understand why. So here's the skinny. First thing is, even if if you are a football player at Stanford, and even if you are a very good student, it is extremely difficult to get into grad school. Extremely difficult, which I think is dumb because yes. You should get like it's Stanford grad school. It should be hard to get into. But if you know that somebody is playing sports and they are still an excellent student getting in grad school at the school you're already at, I mean, I mean, am, am, am I tripping Ralph that it should be a tad bit easier? Just a, a just a smidgen. I just want to know why there's not somebody on staff from your freshman year who is making sure that you're on track so that it's not even an issue. 
Bingo. Bingo, bingo. That to where if you hit all these benchmarks, you're getting in grad school. Like if if a, if a, you have a three, six, and you take these classes in this major, you're in this grad school if you, if you want to go. That's first thing. Second thing is Stanford has a housing issue. So Stanford's players have to move three times per year, three times per year, because housing is not granted. Well, sorry, housing is granted for them the the exact same way it is for the regular students, because there is no difference. So they have to move. So they live somewhere during camp. During uh, b- b- before school starts, training camp, all that they live somewhere. Then they move out and move into their their quote unquote school year housing. They're like permanent housing. Live there for the whole school year, and then they have to move out and move into a different place when they get assigned their summer housing. Like it, it doesn't. Like why are you putting all this stress on people? that are making money for the university because you want to keep everybody equal. And then the dorms are janky anyway. Like you would think that Stanford would have a better setup. Nope. Nope. It is not anything like you see at the other universities. And also Stanford's food. So um, the other universities, pretty much all of them in the Pac-12 and then across the country, They like to feed not only their football players, but their athletes high quality meals that are going to help them perform better. So Stanford started doing that with their athletes. People got mad, complained. So then they opened that up to the other students, but then it became a cost issue and then they lowered the quality of the food. So, and we already know who like, David Shaw is he had been a good coach, but his relationship with the players from what I've heard that aren't in the top 10 or 15 in terms of of ranking on the team is not very good. And all the stuff in the media where he says, oh, I don't care about what people think. But then he talks to the team about what the media is saying that what he doesn't care about. So this is why Stanford is done. If if you so this is why Stanford is having having trouble recruiting too, because they're getting a lot of negative recruiting on them, because they're saying you want to go there and live like that, you want to be beholden to, hopefully the coach likes you enough to give you a scholarship. Like you know, it's not just based on your talent and your grades and all that. No, like you like you have to kiss the ring, dude. It's gonna take another coach to go in there and change things because, and then that's before you even get into the offensive struggles, which is run and punt football. Les Miles tried to do it at LSU. It's broken. It's done. It, it Alabama can't even do it anymore. They're throwing, throwing the ball 40 times a game. They can't do it because football has changed. You can't win like that anymore. Utah tried to do it last year, played Oregon, got the damn doors blown off them. It is a different day, and Stanford needs new leadership. But the question is, how do you find – I mean, granted, there's a lot of people who are going to take a $5 million a year job. But how do you get somebody to come in who's a good quality coach 
if he's not allowed to make changes in these necessary areas, Ralph? That's a good question. Um, I'm concerned right now about their recruiting. Um, in a year where everyone's trying to get things locked down early and the rules were always sort of bending against Stanford anyway, uh, you have everyone trying to commit as early as they can and Stanford's still waiting to see if people can even get qualified. They only have 11 commits right now, 11. And compared to most teams, and Stanford I think would fashion itself a top 30 that they belong in the top 25 year over year. I think that's the expectation for the football team, and they should be in the top 30 as far as recruiting year over year. And they've had some very good years recruiting recently. Um, But they don't have a single four-star committed. Not one. That's bad. Yes, that's horrendous. The only school that has less commits than them in the Pac-12 is Oregon State with with eight but that's kind of to be expected like they'll like Oregon State tries to get in the they're going to be in the JC market heavy and they're also going to try to pick off guys that are going to like Southern Miss that are going to you know guys that they say okay this guy was under evaluated right or 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 something and then we can develop him but but you you talked about the fact that they're down on scholarship like they need 25 players they don't take Juco every guys. year for the next like three years. Right. And they don't really take grad transfers. Right. So here, nope. here's something that's going to blow your mind, George. Not only do they only have 11 commits, they only have 18 offers out to uncommitted prospects for the 2021 class. What? 18 total. I can name them right now. This is like a saboteur. I granted, I know it's hard to get in Stanford and they're on the, like they take what Washington does with their offers. Oh yeah. You're it. It's an exclusive offer. It's a very exclusive offer. We're not giving them out to a lot of people. So if you get one, you know, it means something. So, and, and, and mind you, it's worked for them. So I, I mean, I'm mocking it, but it, it's worked and I don't, and, and I don't hate it because I think that offering kids and they're not committable offers is is kind of uh, it's kind of sketch anyway. But do but, you think that they're going to go fourteen for the last eighteen? Obviously, they're no. going to probably extend some more offers. But they only have eighteen offers out to uncommitted prospects, and some of those they're not getting. They're not getting uh, Kamar Wheaton, the number seven player in the entire country, five star running back out of Garland, Texas. They're probably not getting a Mecca Egbuka out of Washington, who is the number 11 player in the entire country, according to rivals. Sierra Wright out of LA, who is a top 100 player. He he was considering Um, them, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that might be the best play, but they, they, you know, a lot of these uncommitted prospects are in the rivals 250 by my count. Hold on. There's three, four, five, six, seven of them. So seven of the 18 offers they have out right now are to the top players. No, 10, 10, because they've got one out to JT2 of Malau as well. So 10 of the 18 offers that they have out right now to uncommitted prospects are to the top 200 players in the country, according to rivals. They're, this recruiting class, it's going to be rough. It's going to be very rough. 
because the odds so are stacked against them anyway. Yeah, so you lose all those players, and then you don't refill them with top players. All right. Dude, this feels like Jimbo Fisher's last year at at Florida State when he just mailed it in on, on recruiting. That's what it looks like David Shaw's doing to me. Because there, there, there's no way that you're putting this much effort into recruiting and you're not getting results at Stanford. I just, I mean, granted all the things that I said, but they've been like that. So, and they were able to recruit. So now what has changed? Something clearly has changed. And I think that it is in that coaching staff and people don't want to play ball like that because it's hard to play early because their system is too complicated and all of that. It's just a nightmare. I will Um, say this. They've offered three more players total in this class than they did last year. They've, they, they have sent out 64 offers to the class of 2021. They only sent out 61 last year. And two years ago, it was 76. And, you know, compare that to ASU and Oregon, who if, you know, they probably got a hundred offers out to kids who don't even play the sport. You know, they see a six foot six. All right, who, what, what are the official offer numbers? I'll give you a second to pull those up if you don't have them. Um, because I know, well, obviously Stanford is going to be at the bottom of the Pac-12 in terms of offers, right? Yeah. Um, and then who is the number one? It's got to be Arizona State, right? Yeah, for the longest time, Arizona State didn't really do the thing that uh, that um, it felt like it felt like Oregon was really the champion of it. And I remember even asking David Shaw what he thought about Oregon dropping 300, 350 offers on kids. And, he, you know, he'd roll his eyes and he'd say, you know, what's the what is the point of that other than branding? Um, but <laughs> Arizona matters. Yeah. Arizona State has 317 offers out to members of the 2021 class. And then let's put that against the, uh, the school that, that uh, kind of pioneered going over 300 offers to a single recruiting class. And that's Oregon. And uh, let me see what I can find for them. This is uh, uh, while uh, you're finding that. Uh, t- a tweet just came across about Dan Mullen at Florida. So yesterday he said, he said this yesterday. Yeah. I've been preparing for LSU, but I mean, I'll be honest. If I, th- I think if you look at what we've been able to do, cause he was talking about the uh, fans in the stands and all that, what we've been able to do, the safety precautions that we have, our players have followed, our coaches follow our staff follows, you know, I think we're the model of safety and what we've been doing during this time period. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So Arizona state 313. Uh, Okay. Oregon. And, and, and you, and you, and you only need 25. That's right. That's right. And I think they currently have like 21. Um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to let you guess. Do you think Oregon has done more or less than 313? Less. How how many less? You are correct, but how how much less? Give me a number. I'm gonna go. Is, is Oregon second, second most Th- that I know of so far? I'm trying to think of the other teams that really 
crank out offers, and there's not a ton in the Pac-12 that go absolutely crazy. Okay, I'm going to go 240. At 213, exactly 100 less. That By my count, there are 100 less offers out to uh, kids for University of Oregon than there are for Arizona State this year. Hey, well, well, Arizona State is trying this national recruiting thing, so you got to send offers out everywhere. <laughs> and yeah. see who's interested. Oh, and then that's how you judge to see who you should should recruit. You're like, oh, okay, they called back. So, all right, I guess that's where we should go. Yeah, and I th- I do think that there's definitely an element of of uh, the ASU's just kind of doing the national branding thing and tossing offers out everywhere. They didn't used to do that, and there was one year. I think you'll like this, George, where ASU out of the blue offered like ten kids in Western Pennsylvania. And, uh, and (laughs) it was very clear that Todd Graham was trying to get on Pitt's nerves after all the stuff that their fans said about him after he bailed, um, after one season out there to come to ASU. And it was like the class of 2014. So it would have been one year after he got to Arizona state, all of a sudden they just hit Western Pennsylvania with a bunch of offers. And I remember thinking it was so funny because Pitt fans just went, they went nuts because none of those kids were going to go to ASU. ASU didn't have a serious interest in really heavily pursuing anyone, but just to see Todd Graham and Arizona state's name all over Western Pennsylvania over the course of a week, it was very funny. See, I don't mind stuff like that. I actually like when, when schools are willing to like, you know, you know what? We don't care. Kind of like when Oregon put the, um, the, the the billboards down here in LA when when I was in school we had billboards for Oregon in LA and I thought that that was like the 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 dopest thing ever um <laughs> so I guess we can finish covering the recruiting now cuz there has been some um so speaking of Stanford Stanford had a commit a wide receiver commit right Joshua Moore yeah, yeah, flipped to USC from Stanford. That's pretty rare for that to happen. Usually when somebody locks in with Stanford, um, they're in it for the, the long haul uh, If there's in, unless there's some type of uh, academic issue. I remember a few years ago there was a running back that uh, Stanford lost on like right before signing day who ended up signing with Colorado. I think he's like Bo Bisharat. I think he's Colorado's backup running back. Um, that was somebody Stanford was really excited about and they had to, you know, I think some type of academic issue, they had to let him go at the last second. And so you don't typically see a kid flip who was committed. You know, usually they like decommit, then a week goes by, then they commit. This was just a straight flip from Stanford to to USC. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that was a big deal. Um, and we've also had a few commits from the Pac-12 over the last few few weeks. Um, uh, Oregon picked up a commit, Jeffrey Bassas, uh, an athlete from Utah. Um, USC picked up um, a couple of commits. They picked up Michael Trigg, a four-star tight end out of Florida, who, I mean, I guess. I mean, I'm not sure if you're a tight end. I mean, granted, he's trying to play like the kid out of Florida, um, their their tight end because USC does not use their tight end at all. Um, they got a commit from 
offensive guard from Texas, Ty Buchanan, and the kid Josh Moore, the uh, three-star safety out of Georgia. So USC is doing that as well. Um, Are you surprised that three of the uh, three of the top twenty and four of the top thirty schools? as far as the current recruiting rankings are Pac-12 schools, including two of the top four. Rivals has Oregon at three and USC at four right now. ASU at 19 and Cal at 29. Yeah, and then in the 24-7 rankings, it has them Oregon three, USC six, and Arizona State 18, Cal 19, and then Washington 26. This is the type of recruiting, granted, Recruits don't just win games. Yes, you do have to coach and develop, but it's easier to win when you can have a guy play as a freshman and contribute a little bit, be a starter as a sophomore, be fully ready, and be an NFL prospect as a junior. Like, that's really what you want. And this is what the Pac-12 needs to elevate itself back to – you know, what what it was and to ascend to higher heights to make yourself wanted amongst the TV partners. Yeah, you ta- have to talent be able is to destiny, right? Yep. But the probably the most interesting thing to me is this is with the massive bleed of Californians and Arizonans leaving the Pac-12 conference um, completely you still have two teams in the top four on rivals, two in the top six on 24 seven. And then you got some respectable showings from everybody else. I don't think Washington's where they want to be. And I know that Utah and Stanford are certainly underperforming right now. Um, but I, 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 that's very encouraging to me. Even university of Arizona on rivals is number 43. And part of the reason is because they completely filled their class already. Um, and you'll see, I think you'll see a lot of movement because all these kids are committed without any senior film whatsoever. I had somebody uh, who covers Ohio state for rivals reach out to me this morning. And, and, you know, there was a player out of New York who put ASU in his top five. And he said, you know, do you think ASU has a shot at this kid? And I said, you know, it's possible with their national approach. And he said, well, how many spots do they have left? And I, and I said, they usually like to leave two or three open for grad transfers. So my guess is one more, but ASU certainly not above jettisoning a players that, that are currently committed. They've done it quite a bit since Herm Edwards took over. Um, you know, they bounced a six foot 10 offensive lineman who ended up at UCF and they did it with a, with, with a few other players last year. They'll, they'll certainly do it again. So I oh, would not look at they, anybody. They do that. Yeah. <laughs> see, yeah. see, I am not on board with that at all, dude. I, I think that that's whack that if you, um, that if you take a commitment from a kid and he shuts down his recruiting, like if you take a commitment and then just because you get a player that you feel is better or higher priority, just to kick him to the curb, I, I'm, I'm not with that. I think that that is low brow. I mean, granted, I know that you want the best possible options, but like, well, and it's different if you do it last minute versus if you take a commitment from a kid, you know, like a year ago, and then he doesn't develop the way that you thought he would. First of all, you shouldn't have taken a commitment. Second of all, I, I just don't think that 
like not giving a kid advance notice, like months of notice. Yeah. It is good. I'm so I'm with you. There was a kid last year. Uh, his name was Frank Thompson and he played offensive line and he was, he's an interior lineman. He's probably six, three, two eighty. He had a good camp showing and Arizona state offered him. Dave Christensen offered him. And I think the entire, um, the entire ASU recruiting setup is such that they have Al Luganville, former San Diego state head coach, uh, here to do, um, his own evaluating and rankings, but because offensive line sort of exists outside of most people's expertise, they gave Dave Christensen carte blanche to offer whoever he wanted. Um, and, but the goal for ASU has always been to get taller and then develop the players. So the fact that Dave Christensen offered this six foot three kid, who's like grandfather play to ASU well, um, was a surprise to the rest of the recruiting office. And that kid committed immediately and he had a decent senior season, but ASU was going to drop him and they let everybody know that they were going to drop him except the kid. So it put me in a really weird situation um, last year because that kid's team made it all the way to the state championship, which was being played at Sun Devil Stadium. And they won the state championship and he was getting interviewed after the game saying, how does it feel to win a state title on the field that you're going to be playing at in college? And they hadn't told him they were going to drop him yet. But me and everybody else who works in any kind of recruiting capacity, we all knew. So it was pretty sickening to watch this kid have to answer all these questions about how he felt about playing at Sun Devil Stadium when he's going to be a future Sun Devil, only to six days later be told that there wasn't a spot for him. And you know that like there's always this stigma of does Arizona State care about Arizona players? Why do they always go to other places? Well, that certainly didn't help their image. So that turned into a huge thing between Arizona high school coaches and trainers and ASU in general. And then so ASU is trying to feed information out to reporters to make, you know, to, to save face. You know, it's not their fault. The kid just wasn't good enough. If he wanted to stick on, he should have been better. But I had ins within the recruiting office saying that, like, they kind of rolled their eyes at the idea that they ever offered this kid in the first place. He ended up okay. I think he ended up at Texas State. Um, but that was the second year in a row they had done that. They did it to another kid who hesitated to sign early when there was a transition um, two years ago, I guess, when they hired Herm Edwards. He wanted to not sign early and see what was going to happen. Um, and they dropped him and he ended up at Washington state. And then his brother followed. And now he is, uh, you know, he, they could have used him last year because the, the offensive line was in pretty rough shape and he was on the two deep at every position, um, for Washington state. So this, that, that type of stuff does bother me, but what bothers me more is what the schools try to do to save face in the interim, what they leak out to the media and all that. And sometimes will make the kid look bad. Like, well, he didn't do enough when they know they shouldn't have offered him in the first place, you know? So the whole thing's super delicate. That That's a story that I'm, I'm not super fond of, you know, and it's, so this is one of the reasons I really want players to get paid is ASU, especially since Herm Edwards took over has shown more than any other school that this is a business business. Like ASU came in and they straight up cut a kid who had been, committed to ASU since he was an eighth grader and who was still a freshman. They told, they basically told him you're never going to be good enough to play for us and you can stay at ASU on scholarship as a student, or you can 
try to go play elsewhere. And that kid ended up, I think, sticking in school. Um, but th- that type of stuff, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of. I really, really don't like how business-oriented and cutthroat some of this stuff is without the players getting compensated. <laughs> so that's why I've always, I've always advocated for them to get paid, knowing that they're already being treated like employees anyway and can just get fired immediately or, or have their, their uh, scholarship offer revoked for any reason whatsoever. Um, it's a cruel world, so there might as well be a paycheck involved. Yep. Yep. I, so w- what do you think is ultimately going to happen? So with the top recruits in the country, because the, the Pac-12 does still have a chance at some of those guys. You got Corey Foreman, Tua Malau, uh, uh Sierra Wright, um, and a, f- a few others. And then you got the Jake Garcia situation where he's out in Florida. Well, where he's out in Arizona. No, Arizona. Uh, he's out in Georgia trying to play high school football he's suspended right now yeah he got Uh, screwed yes yes he did royally dude and they normally don't do that sort of thing but they didn't want the hot shot uh kid coming out there hot shot california kid coming out there so yeah what do you what, what do you think ultimately happens with i guess the the two biggest names Foreman and Tua Malau, where you have Tua Malau considering basically Ohio State, Washington. Who who is top seven? Ohio State, Washington, Oregon, Michigan. Um, yeah, I think Oklahoma might be on there or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I would I'd put JT Tua Malau right now as fifty fifty to stick in the conference. What I would like is just for Oregon to tell him you can play basketball or Washington to tell him you can play basketball. Washington has already lied to high profile recruits about being able to play multiple sports in the past. So, well, they, they are offered him in basketball. They offered him in basketball, but they also told Byron Murphy that he could come out and play basketball. And then the second that he that got happened there to me. Yeah, I know. So, so I, I mean, if they're serious about it, like they got, they actually have to be serious about it. Um, I do think, that USC is planning to lose Jake Garcia because they just offered a third quarterback in the class. They offered Jackson yeah, the Dart, who's having a monster year yeah, out of dark. Draper, Utah. Yeah, Dart. Yeah, so, and they're hoping he can be their next Slovis. <laughs> yeah, and so I think that they're planning on losing Jake Garcia because Jake Garcia, up to this point, has had no plans to break his commitment, but he's also hearing from other coaches and talking to those other coaches. You know, I don't think USC is a big fan of you know, of, of that whole process. And so I think that they, they want to at least take two um, in this cycle and we'll see how that goes. Uh, but I think JT Tumalau, I'd put him at 50, 50 and I'd put Corey Foreman at 50, 50 as well, especially if um, it, what, what is not helpful for the PAC 12 teams right now is that they're the only ones not on the field because if uh, doesn't Georgia have Alabama this week. Yes. So if Georgia beats Alabama, that could influence Corey Foreman's decision. I, I think I think that it'd give Georgia a lot of juice um, and, you know, and give Georgia a claim of, you know, they, they already are killing it and recruiting, just absolutely killing it. And and so I think that 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 would be a little bit of a leg up for them. USC just needs to get back on the field so that they can have some type of relevance. It would really help them to get back on the field and beat ASU in that season opener at 9 a.m. And if they can do Bingo. that, then they might get his attention. Well, there goes our next topic. 
is 9 a.m. better than 8 p.m.? Because, okay, so the the conference, we already know, first game of the Pac-12 schedule is going to be a 9 a.m. game. USC versus ASU. There's already, part, part of that is because there's the big noon game on Fox, which starts at 9 p.m. Pacific. And granted, it's 11 p.m. Central, so it's not quite as early for teams in the central uh, in the central time zone. But 9 a.m., that means you're up at 5, 5.30, because especially now because of the COVID testing that has to happen, like you're getting tested at 5 in the morning. Yes, uh, like some schools start early workouts and everything, but that's a big deal for the players. But here is my biggest problem with it. I granted, I know it makes sense for this year and the 8 p.m. games, which the coaches have been, they've smartly made comments about it, saying that the 8 p.m. games have such a short shelf life because of the NFL. As soon as you wake up, the NFL is on Sunday morning, the NFL is smacking you in the face. So you don't have time to really build up and look at what happened because people on the East Coast are already asleep. It's 11 o'clock when when games kick off sometimes or in the first quarter at 11 o'clock when the, the game kicked off at 7.30 or 7.15. And so it creates a, a natural problem of, on your coast because even if something great happens, people aren't up to see it. And then the next morning they're worried about football. So it's a short shelf life. The other problem is is that the Pac-12 has taken such terrible time slots with Thursday night games, Friday night games, um these 8 p.m. games that now saying, okay, cool, we'll play at nine o'clock in the morning. There's no going back from that. So if the networks know that this is what you'll do, they will just they will uh, say, all right, well look, the, the Pac-12 networks clearly aren't working they're broken they're not making money so if you want so we want to keep our other partners happy give them the premium time slots give you a few every now and then we'll throw you some bones but we're going to make sure but then we need you to take these 9 a.m games the 8 p.m games and slot you in places where other people don't really want to be there's going to be no walking it back from there I just don't, I don't, I don't like this debate at all. It's, you know, what tastes better, poop or pee. That's what we're talking about right now. This, this whole thing is ridiculous to me. Like the priority of this conference should always have been to cater to the markets that exist within the conference to build up a culture of support for football that would then result in a national interest. It's, it's an inside out approach for my church people. What I'm saying is wearing a Christian t-shirt doesn't make you a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, the, the, the conference is looking for the best way to get somebody in Dayton, Ohio or Jacksonville, Florida or Schenectady to watch games that they don't really care all that much about. Also, they can approach a network and say, this many people watched our product. What is that worth to you? 
and to your advertisers. That's the way of the world, and I understand that. But you don't build up the culture that would make the product good from its foundation by inconveniencing the people who would attend the games and support the teams. You don't do that by putting the games on Friday so that local recruits don't have the ability to go on official visits to the school. So that when they're filling up their five official visits in dates that make sense to them, they have to look outside the conference. That's ridiculous. You don't put games at nine in the morning so that you have a hard time staffing ticket takers and uh, people who serve concessions and everything like that. You don't do that. You don't make it more inconvenient for people who want to tailgate. You don't make it. And that, so that's another thing of just like covering ASU. And they've always been very, very sensitive about this. They put about $400 million into upgrading a stadium over a period of four years. And I repeatedly said, like, the, it, what you should be doing is putting more money into the experience of getting people out there so they can tailgate and make it an all day event. But instead, at the expense of the tailgaters, they're selling more expensive seats to a stadium that has three quarters the number of seats that it used to have. It doesn't also that you can kick the game off at 8 p.m. so that anybody like me, if I wasn't covering it, can't bring my own kids to a game. Because their bedtime is 930 and they have to get up for church in the morning. So you expect me to be out of the house with everybody at 9 a.m. to compete against the soccer games that they might have (laughs) in the only nice weather that Arizona typically gets in October and November? You want me to not have my Saturday morning, early morning family time? How about you just believe in your damn product? You schedule games against other conferences but allow for the most positive potential in-person mm. experience. Ralph, you you have just like get, what you said makes sense in theory, but in application, you can't put it up against other things if there's nowhere to put it. Like that's the problem. Like there's nowhere for the games to go. So you accept playing second fiddle and then you become second fiddle, period. You accept, and so so what what we're saying is I'm agreeing with you. I'm 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 just I'm just asking what network would the Pac-12 play on up against the Big Ten or the SEC or the Big Twelve? What network? Because the Big Ten is owned halfway by well, forty nine percent I believe is owned by it's it's either forty nine or fifty one. And then, and then the other one is reversed for ESPN and the SEC. Yeah. So, yeah, you know what I'm going to say next. It's the same thing that you always say that like you have to make your games accessible. If I was the PAC 12, I would have gone to Yahoo 10 years ago and said, we see what you're trying to build. And, you know, I, I, I regularly watch NFL and NBA games on my Yahoo sports app because I've always got my phone in my hand, but I'm not always near a television. Right. So I would have gone to Yahoo 10 freaking years ago and said, hey, we'll give you an absolutely ridiculous deal that hurts us financially in the beginning to make sure that the people who were walking around with their phone in their hand can watch these games. 
It doesn't matter if they're on ESPN. And then I would say, hey, Yahoo, put money into being able to broadcast yourself. Yeah. I would have done everything I could to make sure that the games were as accessible as possible. I would have been like Costco out there giving out free samples so that you have no choice but to think of those free samples, come back and shop in this store, and then get caught up and buy all the other stuff you see on the shelves on your way to get those free samples. They did not prioritize the people within the region that they say that they're proud of. They want a bunch of people they want a bunch of televisions that were left on in hospital waiting rooms to count against the stats that they sell to networks, even though they're just playing overnight to empty hospital waiting rooms in freaking North Carolina. That's what they want. That's a stupid strategy. It has always been a stupid strategy. And now the Pac-12 is paying the price for it, having to say, oh, well, wouldn't we rather have 9 a.m. than 8 p.m.? Would you rather be stabbed or shot? <laughs> Dude, this conference is so here. damn stupid, man. I cannot believe we have dedicated the last year of our lives to doing a podcast over a conference that has it doesn't even have its own best interest in mind. It drives me absolutely nuts how hard. Why are you making yourself so hard to love? <laughs> Dude, Fox Listen. Sports Regional just can't got got taken off of. Um, Fox Sports Regional programming just got taken off, off, off of Hulu. YouTube TV, and yeah, now yeah, it's about to drop off Hulu. Where Wait, am I going to get? Yeah, they're going to lose Hulu as well. I I guarantee you, inside source, they're going to lose Hulu. What are we going to do? What, like, so I have to have Sling for my Pac-12 games if I'm a cord cutter. And then what am I going to do for all of the rest of the stuff that I want to do as far as just regional sports coverage? It's a giant mess. And the, and the Pac-12 has just made itself a part of the mess. And then they've told you, hey, you don't even know what technologies are going to be out two years from now. Maybe we'll be on that. Shut up. <laughs> just Dude, shut up. That. Like, don't do I not sell me on beginning. potential. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, there 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 will be some magic technology out. You guys just don't know about it and we don't know about it either. So, but I, I swear to god if I go to a 9 if let if I if if I'm a fan that goes to a 9 a.m. game and it's before I can get a couple of drinks in me and I watch my team get smoked at 9 a.m. and then I have 11 hours to think about my team getting smoked at 9 a.m. Ooh. <laughs> at least at least you get to black out in the third quarter of a game that you're getting worked by 30, <laughs> you kicked off at 8.30 p.m. Uh, dude, no, dude, I, okay, so I, I would rather be stabbed than shot, apparently. <laughs> so, um, so I'll, I'll take the 9 a.m. games, but I appreciate your, uh, your, uh, your passion. It's funny because I'm usually the person turning over the tables on this podcast, so it's fine. I'm I'm happy to know that you have this sort of passion and dedication, Ralph. Just that um, consistent, like the 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 the, the Pac-12 hates the nuclear family. That's my theory. <laughs> they they hate oh! the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is is what like Republicans believe liberals are. 
They hate family. They hate your religion. They hate everything about your routine. They believe that you'll just be there at their beck and call, and they're ignoring the fact that the stadiums get 10% more empty every single year because of your lack of prioritization of football, because your lack of respect for the time that people have during the day. They just want a Pac-12 camera to show a game to nobody with nobody in the crowd. This whole thing is absolute madness. And now I'm going to have to explain to my wife that, hey, at least I know that we could have gone to Home Depot at at 9 a.m. because the games kick off at 8.30 at night, and I have my excuse for being too tired for church on a, on a Sunday morning. But now we're going to miss that Home Depot trip, too, because they're, it's not, George, it's not like they're not going to have the 8 p.m. kickoff. They're going to go from 9 a.m. all the way to 8 p.m. You and I who do this podcast, like, I know that you like a full day of football, and I do too, but we're going to be on our spouse's shit list because of Larry Scott. Yeah, see, okay, I'm in a unique situation right now, so here's what my Saturdays are like. I, I, I sent you a picture of this. So my so uh, we have an Amazon station where we deliver packages, our family does. for Happy for Prime Amazon, Day. Right. Yes. And, um, so my wife is up at the station on Saturdays, right? So I'm at home with the kids all day on Saturday. And mind you, we have a a near one and a half year old. So I bring his stuff into my office slash studio slash game room area, right? Multiple TVs. And I sit him up in there and he watches ball and the other kids watch ball with me all weekend. And so that's my Saturday. And even if the Pac-12 actually, ooh, that's going to throw me for a wrench because all these games are over with at like 8, 830 right, right now. That's when wifey gets home. So then I actually give her time and attention then if there are Pac-12 games on then and UCLA's not playing, which she's going to want to see, I'm going to then have to choose between the Pac-12 game. I'm, as you can see, I'm talking through this and time with my wife who's been gone all day. I, I tell you what, I would choose, I would definitely choose your wife over Washington State, Colorado at 915 Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So what do you think about the first Pac-12 game, though, of the year? You got USC versus Arizona State. It's the kickoff game for the Pac-12. And it's probably going to decide the Pac-12 South. Like this is yeah. the game because there's no margin for error. There's no margin for losing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I would I say. I looked at the schedule. Fox tweeted out, "Oh, how many games is Oregon gonna win?" And the schedule with six games looks so sad. It looks pretty pathetic with just yeah. six games. I mean, like I know that they're gonna get a seventh, but it it just it just doesn't look good, dude. Like I, and so, I will say this. <laughs> Uh, I was like, okay, that'll be a good game. Um, and then I heard Clay Helton, hey, you're going to get a kick out of this. I heard Clay Helton tell Yogi Roth that the reason that people should be excited about that game is that the two best quarterbacks in the nation are going head to head. And I about wait, wait, fell what? out of wait, my what? chair. Yep. No, he didn't. <laughs> I was no, like, he didn't. Uh, uh, no, he didn't. Trevor I Lawrence refused. exists. 
No, I, I will find it for you. I swear on my life. He said the two best quarter, arguably the two best quarterbacks in the nation going head to head at 9 a.m. Pac-12 kickoff weekend. And I was like, Stop I was it. just immediately, I was okay. like, well, tr- Trevor Lawrence is a thing and Sam Howell exists. And let's just, let's just calm down on this. I mean, hold hold I, up. All right. All right. Okay, okay, okay. So you can make a debate for, for Sam Howell and Keaton Slovis because of what he did, right? Jaden Jaden Daniels is has a lot of potential. Like people think he's going to be a really that he is a good quarterback, but they think he's got potential to be an elite college quarterback, right? Then there is your boy the the uh, kid out in uh Ohio State Justin Fields. Right? So <laughs> I, I I mean and then there's the kid out at North Dakota State who who is so I would I I would say that there is an argument, right, for Keaton Slovis and a couple of, and like Sam Howell. Okay, cool. And but then there is really for their class, maybe, but not in all of college football. Correct. But there is Trevor Lawrence, and then there's everybody else. Like there is like there's no arguably best quarterback in the nation. Yeah, there, there's no debate. There's no arguably. It's him. Everybody has said this since he was a freshman. It's not even close. Yeah, Clay, it made me uncomfortable, but it, it did hype me up because I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna cling to it and I'm just gonna I'm gonna hype it up on my end the whole time. Like, hey, everybody, it's the two best quarterbacks in the country. Dude, I was on the uh, USC message board yesterday, and they were talking about what. Clay Helton said after practice, they said, he said, oh, it was a great practice, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, would he say anything other than it was a really good practice? Right. Yeah. You never, you, <laughs> it's really hard to take coaches seriously. When I, I remember uh, earlier this week, I was listening to Adam Gase talk about how it doesn't make sense that they're 0-5 because of if, if you saw the way they practiced. And I'm just like, come on, dude. It's because you're up. a terrible your head awful. coach. That's why. <laughs> Your That's team, why your team is garbage and you've gotten to be a head coach in the NFL for five years because you took credit for that shark DNA that Peyton Manning shoved into his neck. Come on now. <laughs> like this is, this whole thing's ridiculous. Like I, Sam Darnold should, we, we, you and I know what Sam Darnold's capable of. That is not Sam Darnold's fault. What's happening out there? I put that squarely in, in Adam Gase's lap. But I just coaches will say platitudes and stuff like that. But every once in a while, they'll take it way too far. And I feel like, I mean, I don't even have Jaden Daniels based on the, the staff and the scheme and what they're going to do this year. I think the argument is, are these the two best quarterbacks in the pack 12 i think that's a legitimate argument that you could have correct you have to, and and but how about the, in, chase chase garbers he's a, he, he's a returner right and i you know how much i've hyped up shuck and then you know davis mills was the number one overall recruit in the in, entire country and he, he's got a heck of an arm and so but i that <laughs> that and then you know uh pro football focus you know says that we should all be bowing before grant ganell so uh but the idea that they're the top two quarterbacks in the country i just I needed I needed something like that from Clay Helton. I just needed some absolute ridiculousness headed into the season. I was I was like, okay, that'll be a good game. And then after after Clay Helton put the unnecessary hype behind it, I was like, oh hell yeah, let's do this. <laughs> Dude, I, I want 
that and that's why they call him Gomer. That's why they call him Gomer. I, I it, anyways, like when when people can't trust what you say, it creates a problem. Um, now though, uh, let, let let's get to our reviews because I think that this is where we'll break to the next podcast. Okay. So yeah, so you guys, of course, leave five star reviews for the podcast. Ralph will tell you to leave whatever you feel like the podcast is worth. We will try to live up to your expectations. And I'm like, hell no, this is a five-star podcast. Leave five stars and leave a rating. Not just leave a rating, but actually like type out some sentences. I feel like, but I do, I, I will tell you that like some of the four star reviews that we've gotten where people leave a criticism and then they bump it up to five the next week. Those have been fun. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Uh, <laughs> so here we go. Uh, it's from Ducks Win. Uh, it says, good stuff. Enjoyed today's pod. My wife got to listen to it on our drive home from Sun River. She said you got Kyle Whittingham all wrong. He is fired up and Utah folks love him. He would totally say those things and his fans would support him despite his religion. So what that's in reference to is uh, that anonymous quote that was given to, uh, was it, was it um, Feldman? Yes. Anonymous yeah, quote that was given to Feldman. Feldman. We were speculating on whether or not Kyle Whittingham would have used profanity and whether it could be him. Um and uh, it goes on to say Mario Cristobal is way too positive a guy and too short of a tenure to pop off like that. The David Shaw accusation is the one that is interesting. I haven't seen it, but he did intern under Harbaugh. So he's saying that like Harbaugh could have influenced the way that he spoke to Feldman. We pretty much established that Feldman has enough of an in with all of these coaches that it would be totally plausible for any of them to uh, to just go half cocked and informal and, and blast the conference. And so, but I do think that, you know, my, my reason that Kyle Whittingham's just overall demeanor wouldn't allow for him to do something like that. Uh, being challenged uh, by Ducks Wynn's wife is is an interesting uh, thing to me. Maybe maybe she knows and maybe she's got some insider information. Yeah, she may. So uh, yeah, so I think that that was a good re- review. Is that the only one? That is the only one on iTunes. I've never actually checked to see if people uh, leave reviews anywhere else um like on spotify or anything like that and i don't know if you've ever you've ever no, checked that as well i have never checked um we we so, iphone people we we tend to uh, only believe that people have iphones <laughs> we live in our own silo of of of, of elitism like oh uh, yes uh, these are the only places that that reviews matter in yes. in in reality that if Spotify wants to give us a hundred million bucks, I will I will drop my iPhone in the in the toilet and never use it again. I mean, yeah, even better. I'll let I'll let my kids play with it. <laughs> that's a, that's surefire <laughs> way for anything to 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 shatter. Yeah. I am I am pulling up Spotify real quick just to see. Now I'm curious, just to see if if um if anybody has ever left a review on there. I think. I don't know. Spotify people don't seem like the review leaving type. Ooh, is that is that elitism? I don't think it's elitism. I think I think it's a it's a respect for for the fact that they're just uh, down to business. They have the app to listen to what they're going to listen to, and they, they don't need to go in there and type their. They don't treat it like Yelp. 
But we want them to. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen ratings on there. I know I've never left one. My whole experience with Spotify is just my wife repeatedly getting her identity stolen uh, by people hacking her Spotify password. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, she'll get on Spotify and she's like, I did not listen to 10 hours of Black Sabbath yesterday. And you're like, yes, you did. (laughs) (laughs) So did you find any? I've got, I've got, I've got our page pulled up right now. Um, It doesn't, it doesn't really look like there's even space for that. Yeah. Like you can click the heart if you like something. Um, But yeah, I don't see, let's see. I don't see anywhere for reviews. Maybe if I, I scroll down to the bottom, like on iTunes. No, nothing there. Hmm. No. Well, if you have the ability uh, to, if you're a Spotify person and you still want to chat with us, there's always, I'm mad at unafraidshow.com, I guess. <laughs> yep. Uh, you guys, we will, uh, we're going to, yeah. So wait a couple days for the next episode. <laughs>